Welcome to World of Soundtracks, a monthly podcast where we explore storytelling aspects in films and TV through music. Whether it is comparing book adaptations, observing themes over a series, or microanalyzing the choice of instruments, we look at how the story is told and moves us. I'm your host, Ruth Mudge, and today we will be looking at relationship themes from the Harry Potter series. First of all, I would like to welcome all of our new listeners. It's been exciting to see this podcast grow, especially in so many countries, and to have you join our journey through the film music of Harry Potter. This is the second podcast in a series focusing on different themes and ideas throughout the eight Harry Potter films, based on the book series by J.K. Rowling. While there is a lot of music, I want to focus on the subject of life and loss, primarily through relationships. Whether it is finding love through family and friends, or with losing family, mentors, and friends. When Harry's journey begins in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, he is an orphan taken in rather reluctantly by his aunt and uncle. It isn't until he is invited to Hogwarts that he discovers both the sadness of his past with his parents dying to protect him, but also the joy of becoming part of a world with magic, making friends and finding a home where he belongs. Much of that is heard through Hedwig's theme, as well as his family theme that I talked about in the first podcast. This highlights the back and forth throughout the eight films, the joy and the grief as he continues on the journey of growing up, not only being the boy who survived, but being crucial to the defeat once more of Voldemort in the battle of good and evil. We start with some of the joy from the beginning, with Harry's wondrous world introduced in the first film, with the music by John Williams. This is one of the most famous themes from the film, and is also one of the ones that was in his children's suite. The track heard on the soundtrack is from that particular version, which is also the concert version, and not how it is fully heard in the first movie. There's both a joy and sweetness to it, being in major, unlike Hedwig's theme. However, like Hedwig's theme, this theme is in three, so Williams can combine the two seamlessly if he chooses. This theme is used both for Harry's joy in finding a place of home, a joy in magic, and also increasingly used for his friendship with Ron and Hermione. For such an iconic theme, it is interesting that it takes a while to be heard. It first appears when Harry wins the Quidditch game partway through the first movie. There is a joy in winning, but also a sense of belonging, finding a joy in the game of Quidditch and flying, winning for his house, as well as seeing his friends rejoice. The music is played in lower violins, giving it a warmth, followed by the fanfare aspect in the brass.
Harry's Wondrous World plays twice more in this film. The first as he is reunited with Ron and Hermione in the hospital, after they overcame the various trials to protect the stone, and again when it is revealed that Gryffindor wins the House Cup, after Dumbledore awards various points to the trio and Neville for their actions, with hats being sent up into the air. Both are moments of belonging and rejoicing. While not as prominent in the first film, the second one, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, uses it a lot more, now that the sense of friendship and belonging has become more established. The first time it plays is when the Weasley twins and Ron help Harry escape from the Dursleys in their dad's flying car on his birthday. It is a mixture of joy and a little mischief as well. This version uses the celeste and flute for the fanfare, as well as the flute flitting around as they fly. On a side note, John Williams writes amazing flying music in his films. This idea of the flying car, and the joy of it, before a problematic crash, returns as Ron and Harry fly in it to school. However, it didn't begin with a great start, so there are a few moments of dissonance in the first few notes. Once they get it going and are able to fly without problems, then it soars in the French horns. On the reunion side of things, the theme plays in the flute and English horn as Harry and Hermione reunite after the summer in Nocturne Alley, giving it a very sweet sound matching their friendship. and the violins have the melody again at the end, when Hermione is reunited with Harry and Ron after being frozen by the basilisk, hugging Harry and awkwardly shaking hands with Ron. It returns a little bit later in the French horn, an instrument often used for heroes, as Hagrid returns back to the Great Hall after being in prison, to the delight of the trio. Hagrid, Hermione, and Ron are Harry's closest friends and family throughout the series. 
so it seems to be appropriate to use this theme in bringing them all back together at the end. Harry's Wondrous World is also used for the credits of the second film. This is the last time that this music is used in the series. In the previous episode, I explored how Harry's family theme was used in the first film, being a sad and lonely theme as Harry is alone on his birthday, seeing his parents in the mirror of Erised, and being transformed at the end to represent finding family in his friends in Hogwarts as he leaves and looks forward to returning. This theme does appear a handful of times in the second film, outside of the end reunion, notably when Harry explores the Weasley home for the first time, a place that will become a second home and his second family, as he looks at the clock that changes the boy's location to being home. The rhythm is changed a little, turning into four instead of three, by holding the last note of each measure longer, as it brings Harry much delight before Molly Weasley starts scolding the boys. The theme is also played later when Harry tells petrified Hermione that they need her. While this specific theme does not continue, the idea of family, especially in regards to Harry's parents, comes back in the third movie, Harry and the Prisoner of Azkaban. This theme, Window from the Past, is both a little lonely and wistful throughout the film, as Harry learns more of his parents through coming to know Professor Lupin. It is finding family in those who knew his family, and also learning more about the betrayal made by one of his father's closest friends. The theme is in minor and 6-8, which has a lilting quality to it. It is first introduced in the Celeste, as Harry looks at the pictures of his parents after Aunt Marge said horrible things about them. The full theme plays in the recorder, an instrument featured a lot more in the third movie, along with other older instruments from the Renaissance and Baroque. It gives a slightly older sound, fitting with looking back to the past. There is both a slower and faster version of this theme. This theme plays as Harry is able to talk about his fears with Professor Lupin, after encountering the Bogarts, and then again when Lupin shares how his mother Lily had been kind to him, while his father James had a predisposition for trouble. Later on, this theme returns in the clarinet, as Harry asks Lupin why Dementors seem to affect him more, and Lupin responds that it could be due to the horrors of his past. Mm -hmm. 
the climax of the movie, it is revealed that Peter Pettigrew was alive and had been the one to betray James and Lily Potter, instead of Harry's godfather Sirius. Both Lupin and Sirius were ready to kill Peter, but Harry stopped them. After this, Sirius stood outside with Harry, looking forward to being a free man, as the solo French horn plays the theme, applauding Harry for doing a noble thing, despite the fact that Peter didn't deserve it, while Harry responds that he didn't think his dad would want his best friends to become killers. Sirius tells Harry that he was named his godfather and gives him the offer of living with him instead of his aunt and uncle, while the violins take the melody. Unfortunately, things go south from there, with Lupin transforming, Peter escaping, Dementors attacking, and so Harry and Hermione go back in time. The recorder takes a theme as Harry sees the same conversation from a distance. It is when Harry saves both himself and Sirius from the Dementors that the French horn plays a brief part of the theme in major, with pauses between each phrase over a dissonant cacophony of voices for the Dementors, and using his Patronus to send them away. The recorder plays the melody over harpsichord and harp one last time, as Sirius tells Harry that he sees his parents in him. The French horn takes over as Sirius also says that Harry will always have them in his heart, before escaping on Buckbeak.
two things change with a fourth film. There's a new composer, Patrick Doyle, and teenagers starting to have crushes. To reflect this, Harry has a young romantic theme in the theme Harry and Winter, first heard in the violins and flute over harp as he asks Cho to the ball, but then the clarinet takes the melody as she turns him down, telling him that she is going with Cedric. Patrick Doyle is very good at writing themes in the style of Italian opera composer Puccini, who always aimed to move the audience's heartstrings with his arias, regardless of the subject, such as O Mio Babino Caro, which is also about a teenager in young love, where everything is felt intensely. Here is a version featuring Joshua Bell playing the aria on violin, as it matches more of the sound of the soundtrack. Here is Harry in Winter, which is a concert version of the track, just the way John Williams did for Hedwig's theme in Harry's Wondrous World, instead of what is just in the film. However, this theme isn't used just for young love and crushes, but also for his deep emotional moments in this film. It's not just for physically in winter, but emotionally in winter as well. The darker and colder moments at the end use this theme for Harry. Take out the harp, add in some cymbal rolls and low cello scales, and the theme can become one of deep longing and emotional turmoil, especially at the end as he duels Voldemort. Since their wands share the same core, it releases the most recent killing spells of Voldemort's wand, which give glimpses of his parents, telling him to run, as well as Cedric, who asks Harry to bring back his body to his father. It is in this fight of life and death that he briefly hears and sees those he had lost in death, encouraging him what to do next to live. However, it is in the morning of Cedric's death that the theme is transformed from a sweet romantic theme 
to a tragic theme in the strings, in a similar vein to Samuel Barber's Adagio for strings. One of the most famous American string pieces often played in grieving events, such as the death of John F. Kennedy or 9-11. first death Harry has witnessed himself, a friend and fellow student, and we hear the grief of both him and Cedric's father, as well as the teachers and students who are also grieving and in shock. This becomes a turning point, not only with the return of Voldemort, but also a turn in Harry's journey to a deeper sense of loss, anger, and a new trajectory towards fighting Voldemort. This film doesn't have very much for the group of friends as a theme throughout, but it does end with a sense of hope, as the trio comes together while watching the tournament teams leave to go back to their schools. Hermione asks the boys to write and talks about how things will change in a bittersweet and slightly anxious way. In the midst of a lot of grief and tragedy, the film ends with a sense of hope and possibility, friendship and even family. The end of the fourth film is a turning point for Harry and his friends, as there is an extra layer of danger in the beginnings of a war. That means we have similar ideas and thematic material that run through the later four films. Part of that is due to the fact that films five and six have the same composer in Nicholas Hooper, and seven and eight are a two-parter under the composer Alexander Desplat. 
but does make it easier to follow ideas in the second half, even though the themes of family and friends is one that carries throughout the entire series. The first of these themes in regards to relationships is the idea of allies, both amongst the adults and the students in their various preparations for battles against Voldemort. Many of the allies are close to Harry, both in the adults and students, as family, mentors, and those he trusts. This begins with the Order of the Phoenix, the adults banding together to protect Harry and fight Voldemort. Considering it is the title of the fifth film, it makes sense that they have their own theme as they pick up Harry from his home in the summer to their new headquarters at Sirius's old home. This is another fantastic flying theme as they fly away on brooms, heard especially in flutes, violins, harp glissandos, and horns with drums for their heroic nature. The students themselves create a group called Dumbledore's Army at school. When Hermione decides that they need to know how to defend themselves against Voldemort and his Death Eaters, instead of receiving just book knowledge. It begins with Minor Flute, as Harry tells the interested group that this is real life that they are dealing with, evident with the death of Cedric. Music for the actual learning is happy, as they find hope and joy in this group together. There is an enthusiastic quality between the major string patterns and the winds playing the melody, first by clarinet, followed by the French horns and flutes. It plays twice in the film, first when the students sign the paper to join the group, but also when they are learning how to produce the Patronus spell, a spell of remembering something happy in the moment of darkness and despair. Thank you. 
This theme is used again in film six, but is instead used during the Quidditch tryouts, as Ron does badly and Hermione does a spell to make the other person fail. There's less of a need for Dumbledore's army in film six, so it provides a happy moment in the school year for these students. However, the idea of having a theme for the Order and Dumbledore's army is provided in a new theme for the last two films. It is known in the Deathly Hallows Part 1 as the Band of Brothers, and then it becomes Neville's theme in Part 2. But the reality is that the line between the adults and the children fighting darkness has disappeared. This is the theme of friends through both groups, all actively fighting against Voldemort and his Death Eaters. In a similar way to Film 5, it is introduced as a group of both adults and older teenagers arrive to escort Harry away from his home to safety. This time as many of them become Harry with the polyjuice potion as a diversion. It's a theme of seeing close friends and family again, such as Ron, Hermione, and Lupin, who almost tells him that he and Tonks are expecting a baby when the clarinet and Mad-Eye comes in. This theme is a heroic theme heard in the strings, horns, and solo trumpet, but with also a hint of melancholy. Turns as Harry tries to leave after Mad-Eye is killed and Fred is injured, feeling guilty and trying to protect everyone else from getting hurt. Ron finds him and stops him, telling him that leaving would give Voldemort a favor. This version is in minor and has a melancholy feel to it. In a similar way, the solo piano plays a variation of this theme when Harry and Ginny get ready for the wedding, Harry preparing to leave, and Ginny knowing it while she asks him to zip up her dress. They both recognize that it may seem silly to have a wedding when everything is so dangerous, and yet it is good to be reminded of the good things. The solo piano gives an intimate quality to this theme. It also makes sense that it is a slower, minor version of the theme, having been friends, falling in love, and once again having to say goodbye soon.
as the trio becomes separated from both groups for the rest of the film. It isn't until they see Neville in part two that the theme returns, as he appears through the secret tunnel from Abbaforce's place back into Hogwarts. It is again that sound of greeting an old friend, with a little bit more danger as he prepares them for what they will see and what has been going on. Since the theme does start to follow Neville specifically in the second part, it also briefly plays in the French horn in Triumph, after he destroys the bridge, and it looks like he also was gone, only for him to pull himself up to the relief of his friends and Dumbledore's army standing there. It also plays when Neville wakes up after being stunned, following his speech of defiance to Voldemort, and sees the sword of Gryffindor next to him. Returning to the fifth film with the teenagers, there is of course a bit of young love and high emotions. Beginning with Harry's continued crush on Cho, they have a sad but also romantic moment as she is grieving Cedric but also liking Harry. As they kiss under the mistletoe, a bittersweet melody plays in the strings in Celeste. This music returns as Harry shares about this moment with Ron and Hermione afterwards, and later in the film as Cho tries to apologize to Dumbledore's army for being responsible for them being caught, even though it was under the truth serum. Angsty teenage love continues in film 6, with Harry now pining for Ginny, who also likes him but dating Dean, and Hermione pining for Ron. This is heard with the oboe and harp, first when Harry arrives at the burrow and Ginny notices his stuff, asking if he is there. Motif and idea returns in the solo harp, as Hermione runs off to herself after seeing Ron kiss Lavender. Harry goes after her, and they talk about how it feels watching Ginny and Dean, sharing how hard it is to pretend that everything is alright when it hurts.
the theme returns once more in the classical guitar, an unusual instrument in the world of Harry Potter, giving the moment between Harry and Ginny a special intimate sound, especially with the little pauses and rests. Classical guitar is also the instrument of the composer Nicholas Hooper. It plays as Ginny helps Harry get rid of the book of the Half-Blood Prince, after he almost kills Draco Malfoy with a spell from there. She takes the book from him, asking him to close his eyes, and hides it in the Room of Requirement, while also kissing him. return once again to film five, looking at the relationship of Harry and the adults who meant so much as family or mentors. There is a bittersweet theme for Sirius and Harry, as Sirius gets to share more about his past in the first order of the Phoenix, first heard in the oboe, flute, and strings, as Sirius shows a picture of the first order, including Neville's parents, saying that it feels like it did before, with a war coming. returns later at Christmas time, as Sirius shows Harry the black family tree where he was burned out of it by his mother, sharing that it was James Potter and his family that took him in and felt like true family. He promises to Harry that they will be a family when this is all over, reassuring him that Harry is a good person and not turning into Voldemort, despite Harry's concerns regarding the dreams where he sees Voldemort at work. This theme also plays in film six, when Bellatrix Lestrange and Fenrir Greyback set the burrow on fire at Christmas time, after luring Harry and Ginny out to fight them. It becomes a theme of loss and the cost of fighting as everyone watches the house burn.
Unfortunately, it is the connection with Voldemort's mind that deceives Harry into thinking that Sirius was captured and tortured. So he races with several friends to save him, only to find it a trap. The Order of the Phoenix comes to the rescue over fun string patterns, but then Sirius is killed by his cousin Bellatrix and disappears through the doorway, with choir and brass arriving at the climax. The music is heard in the strings, but holding notes instead of the movement that they had during the fighting, as Lupin holds Harry back from trying to get serious. There's a great contrast of how the fifth film ends versus how the sixth film begins, which is a pattern for several of these films. Despite the tragedy of losing Sirius, there's a great sense of hope as Harry is seen leaving the school with his friends, those who had come with him to fight and experienced that moment together. He says that they have something worth fighting for, with Ron, Hermione, Ginny, Luna, and Neville walking together. The strings and horn remind me of Edward Elgar's music, a famous British composer from the early 1900s in the style of his Enigma variations. At the end of the film, we can hear slower chords in the strings, with a horn filling in the melody before emotion is added for a content conclusion to the film with the friends together.
while this works very nicely for bringing that film to a conclusion for the audience, as well as Harry and his friends, it doesn't actually fit where Harry's emotional state is after Sirius's death, which is angry and grieving, especially with minimal contact with friends over the summer. The music at the beginning of film six is almost more tragic than the death of Sirius himself, which often happens in movies, with the grief of those living being more poignant than the moment of death. This theme is heard in the lower strings in choir and what sets the tone for the entire film. becomes one of the two main themes used for Harry and Dumbledore's journey throughout film six. As Dumbledore is headed towards death, and they seek to learn more about Voldemort's decisions to avoid death in creating horcruxes. In the same way that the movie focuses on solving several mysteries, there are several different themes and motifs that carry through. Unfortunately, the main moment of bringing these ideas together is in the children's choral piece in Noctum, which was taken out of the film which is a shame as this contains one of the main themes for Dumbledore throughout, as well as the theme used with his death. It is found in the deleted scenes, or extended edition, as Dumbledore and Harry prepare to come back from finding a horcrux. Snape looks out the window, and Draco lets in Death Eaters into Hogwarts through the cabinet in the Room of Requirement. The middle chanting portion is what appears in almost every Dumbledore scene. However, it is the first part of the melody portion that will be combined with the opening tragic strings from the opening of the movie that is used for the grieving of Dumbledore's death. Not only are the opening chords used for the death of Sirius, but the music is a foreshadowing for Dumbledore's death and used at the end as Harry and the school grieves. It is, in essence, a bookend for his character, as well as Harry's journey with grief in losing another mentor so soon. The solo cello takes the opening of Innoctum, combined with the opening chords of the movie, 
and turns it into a haunting lament as Harry grieves again, with the students and faculty sending up lights into the sky that sends away the dark mark. This theme is used one last time in film 8, as Harry sees through the pensive that Snape was the one looking out for him near the end, as well as being horrified that they were protecting Harry only for him to die. Snape reveals to Dumbledore that everything he did was for the love he had for Lily, Harry's mother, interspersed with the grief and flashbacks of Snape finding Lily murdered. It is here when he says his famous word, always, for always loving Lily. Again, a theme of deep grief that changed the trajectory of Harry's life, finding that he and Snape were intertwined both through Dumbledore and Lily. While we will come back to Lily, Snape, and Harry later, this theme of grief is perhaps the most heart-wrenching of all the grief themes. The part of In Noctum that includes the choir chant, repeating celeste pattern, as well as bass drum, appears several times, including Dumbledore's opening speech to Hogwarts telling the students that Tom Riddle was a student like them, and that their greatest weapon against the dark forces is the students themselves. Later on, it plays as he tells Harry that Slughorn's memory had been tampered with, and that he needs Harry to get the real one, so they can gain knowledge about Tom, who turned into Voldemort.
It returns as Harry and Dumbledore go to the cave to find a horcrux, which they learn of once they get the real memory from Slughorn. Dumbledore gives Harry clear instructions to do what he says regardless of what happens. It also plays as Harry chases down Snape, after Snape killed Dumbledore, trying to use a spell that is revealed to be one of Snape's own. Harry doesn't know yet that it was at Dumbledore's request, and is trying to avenge the teacher and mentor who had helped him so much. The other theme that connects Harry, Dumbledore, and Voldemort is in both films 5 and 6. It is first heard when Voldemort possesses Harry after killing Sirius, and Harry has to fight him in his head. The strings are tragic-sounding, reminiscent of Gorecki's Symphony of Sorrowful Songs, written in 1976, but first heard in the early 90s due to the Soviet wall. For Harry, he is holding on to the memories of those he loves to fight back, because he knows love and friendship. Voldemort doesn't understand that importance or the power that love contains, and so Harry says that he feels sorry for Voldemort, while Voldemort says that Harry is a fool and will lose.
This music returns as Harry and Dumbledore find one of the Horcruxes, revealed to be parts of Voldemort's soul, preserved in different objects. Dumbledore is the one in pain, fighting off things in his mind due to a poison he needs to drink in order to be able to grab this Horcrux. Harry being the one having to continue giving him the poison while Dumbledore is suffering is a mirror to Dumbledore watching unable to help Harry when fighting Voldemort in his mind. There are also little hints of voices screaming here in over a timpani roll. It also returns a lot faster, as Harry is rescued by Dumbledore in the water, a trap by Voldemort to prevent any from succeeding, this time with the addition of choir and brass. version of this theme comes back, as Harry, hidden by his invisibility cloak, sees Draco threaten and try to kill Dumbledore, watching as Dumbledore tries to talk him out of it. Dumbledore is aware that Draco has been tasked by Voldemort to kill him, which is why he asked Snape to do it instead, both for the sake of Draco and being aware that he was dying and didn't have much time left. But as he stalls for time, there are extra string patterns in the violin to add to the tension and dissonance before Snape kills him in silence.
It is in the eighth movie, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, where much of the information about Snape and Dumbledore come out. It also features a theme which is called Lily's Theme, the primary theme throughout the movie, reflecting the love that Lily sacrificed to Harry, with the idea of sacrifice and the power of love throughout the whole movie. In fact, it is the opening theme, the only movie that does not contain a version of Hedwig's theme at the beginning. The movie opens with seeing Dementors over the school, Snape being the headmaster, before transitioning to Harry at Dobby's gravestone as the violins take the melody. The most triumphant version of this theme is when Harry, Ron, and Hermione fly away on the dragon, turning the sad theme into a soaring flying theme with high violins, trumpet, and moving flutes. They have gotten a horcrux in the vault, which is one step on their way to defeating Voldemort. After so many losses or a long time of waiting, it feels good to have accomplished the next step after a dangerous mission. Most of the appearances of this theme are at the end, the first in low flute with echoes and electronics, as Harry tries to stop the bleeding on Snape's neck after Voldemort ordered his death to the snake, and Harry collects a tear to put in the pensive before Snape dies, saying, you have your mother's eyes, as the female voice returns.
One of the key moments in the entire series is when Harry opens up the snitch before he dies, and the resurrection stone appears. Through that, he sees his mother, father, Sirius, and Lupin, all the adults who are parents or parent-like figures to him who had died. It is intimate in the voice and harp when Lily tells him that they never left him. Harry asks if dying hurts and apologizes that they had to die for him as the piano joins in, followed by asking them to stay with him, to which his mother replies, always. As Harry prepares to lay down his life and sacrifice it so that Voldemort can be defeated, he seeks the comfort of those who had done the same for him. One would expect it to be Hedwig or Harry's theme that would be the theme during the final duel and defeat of Voldemort, but instead it is a variation on Lily's theme. In many ways, this feels an appropriate bookend, thematically, even though it might not be musically. Lily's love protected Harry from Voldemort as a baby, but with the curse rebounding, it left a bit of Voldemort's soul attached to Harry. Now that the Horcrux in Harry has died, and all the Horcruxes destroyed, Harry can now finish off that last battle. Love protected him and now has won.
While it may seem appropriate to end this episode with the defeat of Voldemort, I wanted to end with the journey of the three best friends for the last few films. This is the core family from the very beginning, and while Ron and Hermione are included with Dumbledore's army in film 5, the end of 6 shows them unwilling to let Harry go on his own, realizing that they won't be returning to Hogwarts for school the following year. It is bittersweet as they realize this, saying goodbye to what is home, while watching Fox the Phoenix fly by them after Dumbledore's death. In many ways, the tone is very similar to the end of Five, which makes sense since it is by the same composer and setting a very similar tone of grief and hope. I think it's important to note that the films need to end on a more hopeful note. While the beginnings of 4 to 8 are darker and reflect the danger and grief of losing friends and family, it is important to leave the audience and characters with a sense of hope, especially if you have to wait another year for the next film. After all, good does win in the end, and if that hope is not balanced with the dark, then the audience is left feeling weighed down when they leave, in the grief of losing beloved characters and the fight against Voldemort and those on his side. That being said, it does give us a bit of whiplash if you listen to the end of one and the beginning of the next one right in a row. Film 7 really highlights the relationship of Ron, Hermione, and Harry, as well as tensions that arise as they try to find and destroy Horcruxes with very little guidance. In particular, this is the film that is the crucible for Ron and Hermione in being separated from their families. Some have called the main motif a loss of innocence theme, which works better for these two as Harry has already gone through a bit of this in the past several films. We first hear it as they all prepare to leave, Hermione erasing herself from her parents' memories with the solo cello playing the melody over repeated string patterns. Harry's relatives, the Dursleys, leave. Ron stares outside of his home, and then each one walks away or sees his family drive away. They are trying to protect their families, but that doesn't take away the heartbreak of saying goodbye, especially for Hermione.
his motif returns when Ron asks Hermione to wipe the memories of the Death Eaters who came after them, since she is the best at spells. But it harkens back to this time that she had to do the same for her parents, using the same theme. French horn plays this motif over different string patterns, giving a sense of movement and excitement as the trio plans to disguise themselves to get into the ministry in order to grab the locket or horcrux from Professor Umbridge. It is important to note that the majority of the time that the trio tries to destroy the locket while wandering in the woods is left in silence. That amplifies both the sense of wandering, isolation, and the toll it is taking on them as they carry this locket with a little bit of Voldemort's soul attached. Unfortunately, this wears the most on Ron, believing he is seeing things happening between Hermione and Harry, worried about what might be happening with his family and not knowing how, where, or what they are doing. While not using their motif, the sound of increasing unrest and isolation is heard in the harmonics of the violin that doesn't match the key of the bass clarinet and harmonies underneath, giving a sound of unreality and being disconnected. Ron eventually leaves after fighting with Harry, asking Hermione to go with him, and the solo violin plays their motif once again, before switching to a new theme in the violins and horns that becomes a theme for Ron and Hermione and her grief over his leaving.
When Hermione brings Harry to the Forest of Dean to hide after the run-in with Nagini the snake, she speaks of how her parents wouldn't remember any of the times they had spent there as a family. The flute plays a haunting version of the trio or loss theme, again hearkening back to when she had to erase their memories. Later on, Harry is guided by a Patronus to the Sword of Gryffindor in a nearby lake, but is almost drowned by the Horcrux locket. As he bangs on the ice and then is rescued, low cellos play the theme, hinting at who saves him, although it takes a moment for both the audience and Harry to see that it is Ron who rescued him. When the reveal happens, it takes the motif and turns it into major, both heroic and a restoration which is also the beginning notes of Ron and Hermione's theme. Ron and Hermione's theme fully comes back in the violins over shimmering strings and a harp, as he describes the light coming into his heart, hearing her voice, which helped him to find them again. It is both sweet and gentle and muted strings as he shares his heart, the first step in restoration with Hermione, who is both angry with him and yet missed him dreadfully. does come back very briefly when they kiss near the end of the second film. The low trio cello theme returns over a slow repeated beat in drums and flutes, over violin tremolo, as the three of them are captured in the wood by snatchers, Harry's face disfigured by Hermione so that he wouldn't be recognized.
This motif returns for a last time in the solo violin, as Ron and Harry escape the dungeon to rescue Hermione, only to see mudblood written on her arm in her torture from Bellatrix. Dobby helps to rescue them, and in the process is killed by Bellatrix. While the music for Dobby's death is Harry's theme, or Hedwig's theme, the music following the grief and aftermath is heard in the solo cello, as it plays a sad theme slightly based on the trio theme, but the ends hopefully as Harry chooses to bury Dobby without magic. It is a softer sound, most likely with the strings being muted, being bittersweet to finish the film with these friends grieving, and yet having escaped. This continues the sound of remaining grieved to lose a loyal friend, but also in a place where they can find refuge and heal. They survive to continue the fight, but not without cost. In a similar way to the end of the fourth through seventh films, the last film ends the present journey with Ron, Hermione, and Harry at Hogwarts with a bittersweet melody. Even though they won the battle, they all seem weary and hard to believe it is all over. This is not a triumphant melody. That is saved for the flash forward epilogue 19 years later. Instead, it focuses on this family and best friends, with Harry breaking and throwing away the Elder Wand, and then all three of them holding hands in silence, looking out into the distance. The music is both quiet and yet rings of new beginnings with harp, low flute, and strings. It is important that the celeste is present at the end, as that is the sound of magic associated with Harry and Hogwarts. Even at the end, it is still present as an important aspect of that world, 
that they now can build anew together. I touched on this in the previous episode, but one of the reasons the track of leaving Hogwarts is even more impactful at the epilogue is that after all these bittersweet and grieving moments, there is a joy in seeing the trio happy with their families. After seeing Hogwarts in a destroyed state, there is joy in seeing kids of a new generation excited to experience Hogwarts and getting on the train, echoing the beginning of Harry's journey. Just as the present ending focuses on the trio of friends, The ending of the epilogue zooms in on these three, providing a satisfying and joyful conclusion. This brings us to the conclusion of following the various relationships that Harry had with friends and family, mentors, and even a little romance thrown in there. We can hear musically how death and life were intertwined in his journey with a mixture of hope and grief that occurred throughout the series. Ultimately, it is his friends and love that helped Harry not only survive, but helped him to win against evil and death. Next month, I will be focusing on specific character themes outside of Harry himself, from Dobby to Dumbledore to Voldemort, with a few of the quirky ones in between. You can join in on discussing all the musical moments regarding your favorite relationship, life, or loss theme, or any other of your favorite themes and tracks in the Harry Potter films in the Facebook group World of Soundtracks, or on Twitter and Instagram at WO Soundtracks. Please like and subscribe, share with friends, or even leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Amazon. I highly recommend subscribing so you don't miss when the next episode comes out. Until next time, happy listening! Special thanks to all those involved to make this podcast happen, especially Edith Mudge for the title music and Lindsay Bergsma for the graphics. This is World of Soundtracks. Thank you.